So turn your Bibles to Exodus 14. We're going to be there the entire time until the very end, last page of notes, so you can get comfortable. But I do want you to see it. This is a milestone chapter in all of the Bible. You're like, Hunter, I I didn't bring a Bible. We got one around you, black hardbound book around you. That's our gift. If you don't own a Bible, take it with you. Or you say, Hunter, I have a Bible. I'm just not used to opening it. I want you to open it. God's word is better than mine, so I want you to see it because this is such a phenomenal chapter. If you're a journaler or a note taker, we got so many here. I want you to write down the answer to it. Could be one word because I want you to I want you to visualize it, and I want you to go back to it in your own study. What is your greatest battle right now? Just answer that. You can just, if you have just a wonderful memory, just to memorize the answer. But man, I almost want you to see it. I want you to visually see it later on. What is your greatest battle? Like, is it marriage? Is it raising children? Is it being a, a wife or a, a husband? Is it your job? Is it money? For my little ones, my kids, I mean, Wes professed faith and was baptized. I'm speaking to him. I'm not just talking to Chad and Ashley. I'm talking to Wes this morning. Like, what is our greatest battles as Christians? If you're lost in that, that's not the question I'm asking you. But if you are born again, a believer in Jesus Christ, you have professed your faith and trust on him, what is your biggest battle? Is it family? Is it money? Is it sickness? your job, whatever it is, right now in your life, what is your greatest battle? As I said, this is a milestone chapter in all of the Bible. I believe that when you read chapter 14, and man, I am really raising the expectations, but I believe it's going to meet them. Chapter 14 like sums up the whole Christian journey. From like when saved, like I said, not lost, but like once saved, I, I'm, I am begging my, my brother Wes here as, as we saw his baptism last week, like, like he needs chapter 14 desperately. Like this is what the whole Christian life is summed up and looked at in just one chapter. The parting of the, the Red Sea. It's a milestone biblical moment. When I ask you, the Old Testament, what are the first things that come to your mind? What are you going to say? If I say, what are the milestone chapters and moments in the Old Testament? Many people are going to say the garden. They're going to say Adam. They're going to say Eve. They're going to say the serpent. They're going to say sin entered the world. They're going to say Noah, and they're going to say the flood. Some of you might reach into that bag and talk about Abraham. And so many of us will talk about that moment where where Moses grabbed that staff and hit it on the ground and the sea literally parted in two. This is a milestone moment. So before we read, where did we get here? How did we get here? We have a lot of mamas here that are visitors that are coming with children and family and friends. And if you don't know, we're in Exodus all year. So we have already spent four, a little bit more months here. And so we start in Exodus with the people of God, the Israelites, they are enslaved. Then they are rescued. We went through all 10 plagues. 
They experience freedom and now they are on the long journey of faith to the promised land. And that's what we talked about last week is that the shortest way is not always the best way or God's way. Sometimes we see it being the long way and that is where we are in chapter 14. So will you follow me? In the first nine verses, we have those highlighters out. I need you to work today. I want you to see the big picture of faith because it is screaming in chapter 14. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and they camp before Phi-Hitha between Migdal and the sea opposite of Baal, Zephron, and you shall camp before it by the sea. Now, I want you to highlight three through four, will you? For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. So, so if you have slept since the last message or the 10 plagues, Pharaoh has loosened his hand. The people are gone. They are not enslaved. They are free, but they are out. They are in the journey. They are in the walk of faith. And Pharaoh looks at them after they have left and sees that they're in trouble. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, God says, so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all the armies, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And now it was told that the king of Egypt, that the people had fled and the hearts of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, now these are the people of Egypt, right? They're looking around their circumstances. All of their workforce is gone. And what do they say? Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. I want to take a second because I really want you to see the moment. Remember, their land is probably destroyed. They have gone through the hail and the flies and the locusts and the, like their whole workforce is gone. They are completely gassed. They don't really know what the next steps are. And they're all looking at each other and they're going, wait a minute, remind me, why did we let all of those people that were serving us go? Like, what are we supposed to do now that all the hired help that we got for the cheap has left us? So he made ready his chariots and he took the people with him. And also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Pharaoh's getting an army together, church. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. I highlighted that in my Bible. You know why? I was thinking, man, when once free, the people left very faithful. They left very strong. They were very positive and encouraged. And, and they left bold. They were like, man, I'm leaving Egypt. God's going to bless. We were very strong in that moment. However, the army's coming for them. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. The horseman and his army and overtook the camping by the sea besides the five, five Hereth and Baal Zephron. So here's the reality that most of us, most likely all of us will experience in freedom. 
And that is once saved, once born again, and we experience salvation, which is only accomplished through the cross, the enemy will not give us up without a fight. Will not give us up without a fight. In verse 5, I told you to highlight it. The people look around as the people have been freed and the Israelites are going and they are walking in faith. What does the world say? Why have we done this? Why have we done this? Why did we let the people go from serving us? See, when you and I were lost, I want you to think about your own life. Some of you I'm talking to now. When you were lost and you were not born again, you were not a professing Christian, you and I were servants of the world. We were servants of the enemy. And when God loosened the hand of the enemy and we experienced freedom in Christ, the enemy quickly runs after us. We see the enemy's tactics in Matthew 4 and 5. The baptism of Jesus, which I read to you last week in the waters with my brother Wes. Jesus Christ was not a servant of the enemy, but we do see the enemy's tactics. We see this moment between a closeness and a father and a son as Jesus comes out of the water and God splits the skies. And and what does he say of Christ? He says, this is my son and who I am well pleased, period. And what is the next sentence? And then we see the enemy come and attack Christ. It's why so often we face trials and temptations and hurdles and struggles in the moments of faithfulness. For some of you guys here, I see the effort. I see faithfulness. For some of you, like, I am trying to be that Christian mama. Father, I'm trying to lead my home. I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to put Christ first. I am trying to learn. I'm trying to give, and the enemy hates it. You need to hear this from my faithful. The enemy hates faith. The enemy hates a godly marriage. The enemy hates Godly families, the enemy hates the church. Man, our music right there, it was a 10 out of 10. I was just listening to it. I'm thinking, this is so phenomenal. I know I'm biased, but I was just listening to it all. And I just thought to myself, I don't know how it could be better. How could anyone dislike this? The enemy hates it. The enemy hates what I'm doing right here. He hates that you're here. He hates that you're leading your children towards the Lord. He hates worship. But I also want you to see this about the enemy and his perspective. Not only does he hate this, but when the enemy and the lost world see faith, faith from the world perspective can look vulnerable. I want you to see it. When does Pharaoh, when does Pharaoh go after the Israelites? Now remember, we just went through 10 plagues, pretty rough plagues. Like he crushed them, crushed them. I don't even know how they're still standing. And you have the boldness to want more? 
My God has thrown everything at you and you're still alive and you want an 11th? But when does Pharaoh come after God's people? When? When he saw that they were vulnerable. He looks at them and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're gonna take the long way? You're taking the 40 year route? But what we saw For those who are faithful, the 40-year route is often God's route. The 40-year route, the long way is often the right way. But from the world perspective, it looks like ignorance. Wait a minute. (laughs) You're not going to run after money? You're not going to worship the mighty dollar? You want godliness for your children more than popularity? You're going to say no when everyone is saying yes. You're going to say yes when everyone says no. You're taking the 40-year route. And Pharaoh goes, listen, I know you won round one through 10, but I think 11 looks good for me. It obviously seems as if you do not know where you're going. I want you to see it, church. Bold faith to the enemy, looks ripe for the picking. New faith, new faith to the enemy makes you look vulnerable. For some of you here, I love it. Some of you have been following Jesus Christ faithfully for many years and hallelujah and amen to you, keep going. And for some of you, this is new. For some of you, I'm talking to my middle schoolers and high schoolers. You're saying no when everybody's saying yes. I'm not talking to mom and dad. I'm talking to my high schoolers. You're an alien and it's rough. I'm not talking to the grandparents in this room. I'm talking to you. And you're in this space where you're like, I'm trying, man, but this is hard, but I am going the long route. I am being faithful. I am an alien. I'm being persecuted. I'm being made fun of. Like all these other young parents are doing these things, but I am not, and it's making my heart feel funky. I don't know what to do. I'm on an island. And you know what the enemy says? I'm coming for you on that island because you're being faithful, but I see vulnerability. So Pharaoh comes after the people when? When they look vulnerable. It grabs the enemy's attention and he hates it. Exodus 14, going with verses 10 through 12. I want you to see it. Man, I highlighted almost like seven different verses. I think this is the most greatest text. I sat there weeping at my desk. I thought it was so awesome. It says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Y'all get the picture in your mind? We're free. We're free. And they look behind. What's that coming? It's chariots. You see it? I said, no. I said, yes. I'm faithful. I'm doing what I need. Who's that behind me? It's the world. It's the enemy. And it says in verse, we'll keep going with 10. It says, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord Then said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, 
have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us this way to bring us up out of Egypt for this? This is Old Testament sarcasm, if you're not catching it. It says, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? I'm gonna go back to it, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would have been to die in the wilderness. Do you remember chapter five, church? I don't know, it's been a minute. Let me remind you. Do you remember when Moses goes and approaches the Pharaoh for the first time? When old man servant Moses that just got out of shepherding comes to the king, the man with the most rule and power. And what does he say? Let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? Do you know who I am? You are servant. I am king. And what actually happens? Do you remember chapter five? It gets worse. And what do the Egyptians say? Are the God's people in Egypt say? He goes, listen, I wish you would have just been quiet because faith seems to make my life more complicated. You've angered Pharaoh. You stirred him up and you come to fight for us. But man, I wish you would have just kept your thoughts to yourself. So now you fast forward and they're actually free. And the Egyptians say the same thing. Man, if, you, if we were gonna die, you could have just let us die here. I didn't need to travel just to die in the same way. Why did you make things more complicated for us? So I want you to see the big picture of Christian life. So people are saved physically and spiritually. Freedom, freedom, salvation leads to the long way of faith, the long route. The long route attracts the enemy because he hates faith and because it looks like vulnerability. And so now, saved, free, faithful people are in battle with the enemy. And what does it lead to? Doubt and fear. That is our walk. We have been rescued We have been saved and now we're on the long journey of faith that does not make sense to the world. And because we are being faithful, the enemy hates it and it makes us look vulnerable. So the enemy attacks us. He attacks our marriage and our mind and our hearts and our walks and our decisions. And what happens? Hey man, life was gonna be this rough saved. You should have just left me lost. Like, I thought salvation was like nothing but like the beach in Disney until the day I die. Like, I thought it was the easy way, and we find out that it's not, right? But man, if, if, if you're not listening, listen now. Highlight, underline, whatever you got to do, 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. They're up in arms. This is not working out. Why have you led us here? Christian living does not seem to work. I'd rather be a slave than free. Do not be afraid. Stand still. 
Do not be afraid. Stand still, Moses says, and see salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again no more forever, and the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. This is the church. This is the church. And like, this is why I wept. Like at my office, I, I, I read that. And for like all my Sunday school teachers and for all my deacons for, and for those who have served in ministry and my missionaries and for my Sunday school and Wednesday night and my nursery workers, for my mamas and my daddies and for those who come to fellowship, that is the church. Like this is what we are doing. Everyone walks into this space and they are struggling in faith. Like I am trying to be the mother, I am trying to be the husband, I'm trying to be the child, I'm trying to be the servant, I'm trying to be the teacher, I'm trying to give, I'm trying to do this thing that we call freedom, but it doesn't seem to work. And then what do we say to one another? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Why do we do this thing called church? It is to worship and to praise, to equip the saints and to remind one another that God is real, that God is good, and that God is alive. So you all come in here needing to be reminded when every time you grace the front doors. Hunter, this does not seem to work. Yes, it does. Be still. Be patient. Be ready. Be willing. Be faithful. Be reminded that the God that we love and serve and who saved us fights for you. I want to call you to to verse 13 again. Midway. It says, do not be afraid and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I want to tell you about two things amongst many that salvation accomplishes in believers. One, it saves us. You are not saved by your merit, your last name, what denomination you come to, what country you profess to live in, how much money you give, how many attendances services you've attended, you are saved by what was accomplished on the cross through Jesus Christ. Salvation saves you, but salvation also strengthens you. About three years ago, I had someone come, and it was a visitor, and they, they emailed me afterwards, and they said, hey, Hunter, I know a lot of people in your church, good Christian people, and you preach like a man who's trying to save those who are already saved. Guys, why do we need the gospel after salvation? It's a good, simple question. If saved already, why do you need the gospel after salvation? And the answer is simple, amongst other things. The answer is simple, because if there is a God, and he is good, and he creates, and he loves, and he chose and he molded, and he sent his son to die for you. 
you, well, then I am sure that he can fix your broken marriage. If God is good and Jesus came to die, then I'm sure that he can comfort your depression. And I'm sure that he can heal your sickness. Faithful, but scared, free, but now doubting between an army and the water. Moses reminds the people of salvation. We come in here and we forget about it and we have to be reminded of it. If Jesus Christ is exactly who Jesus Christ says that he is and we profess it to be true, and he came to die so that one day you and I will be with him, why would he not be here with you today? So I asked you, what is your greatest battle? I asked you that. What is your greatest battle today? And this is something that I wanna share with all of you guys. Whatever your battle is, it is petty and ridiculous and unworthy in light of salvation. The worst circumstances that anybody in this room can hold in their hand when compared to what we have been rescued for and who lives within us and what we have waiting on us is not worthy to be compared in the same conversation. The reason that our struggles weigh us down and cripple us is because we forget to remind ourselves of what has already been done for us. And so what we do is we find ourselves like God's people. We have forgotten about the Passover. We have forgotten about salvation. We have forgotten about slavery. And we find ourselves in a position where the army is on one side, the water's on the other, and we're going, God, is this worth it? Like I'm trying my hardest. And I don't think this is going to work. And what does Moses say? Remember salvation. Because if there is a God and he can save you from the depths of hell, then he can save you from Pharaoh's. And he can save you and rescue you from sicknesses. He can save you from troubles and broken marriages and hardships and parenting. He can save you from all of those things. I want to bring you to verse 15, and I want you to see how God responds. It's a handful of verses, but I want you to see the big picture of what God does in the circumstances that look like faith does not work. Look at 15 through 31, please. They said, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. You see that? Tell them to go forward. And what would the people of Israel say? There's nowhere to go. All I see is water and then an army. Where would you have me go? But to God, it makes perfect sense. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his armies, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and for the horsemen. 
And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and a darkness to them one. And it gave light by night unto the other, so one did not come near the other at that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Follow me, church. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. Can you imagine this moment, church? 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and all of his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning's watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians to the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army and the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us free from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Just take a second. So they are too deep in to turn around. But Pharaoh's men even get the gist of, wait a minute, I remember the plagues. This is not going to go well. 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh, and it came to the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the water, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Last verse, thus Israel saw the great work in which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine the moment of walking and seeing the, the, the walls of water? These people had already been protected from the flies and not touched by the hail. They had already experienced the Passover. But can you imagine walking faithfully on dry ground and literally seeing like walls of water? Can you believe the moment? But you don't have to flip if you don't want, but I want you to go back to the very beginning and just look at verse 3 and 4 of 14. I want you to see the big picture of what God is doing. It says, for Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. That's how faith will look. It will look vulnerable. Christians will look ripe for the picking. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am Lord. Listen to me. God knew that he was going to save his people before they even knew that they need rescuing. 
see this? Like he's talking to Moses, and Moses doesn't really even understand the circumstances. He's talking to Moses, and Pharaoh has not gotten on his chariot yet. God knew that he was going to rescue these people and part the sea before they even knew they were in trouble. He says, the Egyptians will know that I am Lord. I reference Matthew 4 in the baptism of Jesus and then in the temptation and the attacking that he experienced. The Spirit led him there, if you remember, not to lose, but for God's glory. In the attack of Jesus Christ, where does the story end? In God's glory. The battle that we see that the enemy wants to engage us with is not a battle, but a story of God's victory. You see this in the cross. What worse could happen by, by, by our God on earth that we follow, hang from a cross, spat on and cursed, and what do they say to Jesus? If you were the son of God, you would get yourself down from there. What could be worse, but how does the story end? In God's glory. The world, the enemy, sees opportunity and vulnerability to where God knew in advance that he would be victorious. I love this thought. Any battle that you think that you are fighting ends before it even begins. Every battle that believers are engaged in or you believe that you are facing has ended before it has even begun. These stories are not about a battle between good and evil. We are already victorious. And you need to be reminded of it. This is not about put one foot in front of the other. It is about we are already victorious. Your job is to be faithful in the midst of it. I want you to turn just one place. And I told you, last page of notes. I want you to see the goodness of Jesus in this truth about what was accomplished and what he's doing. We go to John 16. I want you to only flip one time. I want you to see it. For my kids, will you flip, please? Will you open your Bibles? Will you go to John 16, please? Look at John 16. We'll take time. I want you to see the word. It's better than mine. John 16, starting with verses 16. It says, starting with verse 16, this is out of the mouth of Christ. And in a little while, you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he's saying to us? Do you, just like the, the Israelites um, in the journey, when they look at Moses, they go, this is not working. What does this mean? I don't understand. And Christ says, in a little while, you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? What does this mean? And we do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. So he said to them, 
Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I'm talking about? A little while, and then you will not see me again, and a little while you will. Most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep, and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. So what he's saying to them is, listen, you are going to be confused and you are going to be weary. And it is going to look like your faith is not working and the world is going to see it as ignorance. And it's going to look like you've lost and it's going to look like you are vulnerable, right? A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Amen. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. He goes, man, there is going to be a moment where you are just looking at water and the army is behind you. There is no way out. When you say go forward, I don't see a way. We are on a 40-year path that should have taken two weeks. This is not working. And therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me, nothing most assuredly, and I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Church, if you have not heard anything this morning, hear this. Stay faithful. God has won. Christ is good and alive. If God can create the heavens and the earth, control time and space, part the waters, save the unworthy, then God can handle any battle that you wrote on your paper at the beginning of service. Every battle you face has ended before it has ever begun. Our job is to be faithful in it. The war is over. We are victorious. We have the Spirit. God has saved. Be faithful. Be faithful. And so I told you as we pray, I told you to write down or have in your mind your greatest battle that right now you are experiencing. And it could be Hunter parenting is whooping me right now. Marriage is hard. Money is stressful. My job is not fun. My mind is breaking. My health is weary. Whatever battle you are facing Compare it to salvation. Compare it to being rescued. Compare it to what is coming. Compare it to your happiness, to the joy that God has given you. For those who have come here today, and this is nothing that you've ever experienced in the good news of who Jesus is. And your life has been one long battle of trying to fight for happiness. Happiness will always fail you. So this is something for my visitors. I want you to hang on and we're going to pray. This is something that 
we've preached here a thousand times. Those moments where the path looks clear and there's no armies and there's no water and it looks like you're going to get to where you're wanting to go in two weeks. Happiness. Happiness is not a bad thing. Happiness are things of money and materials and family and children and vacations and health and mind and good that I like happiness. Happiness is fleeting. My children can be taken. My marriage can be destroyed. My money can leave me. My health can go today. Happiness is vulnerability. Joy that only comes from Jesus Christ can never be taken. Stay faithful. Seek joy and not happiness. Because for those who are joyful, when we're staring at nothing but water and armies, we go, hey, there's going to be a way because the water is going to be split. If it's 40 years, I'm good with it because God will provide. Jesus Christ is alive and inviting you today to joy. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the church you've given us. I thank you for the reminder of your salvation. For so many of us, that 40-year journey, um, we are not making small of it. There are hardships in life. I've experienced some. I can't imagine some of the hardships people in this room have experienced and are experiencing. Life, that 40-year journey is extremely hard but so small compared to salvation. Your people need to be reminded of the gospel that the cross makes everything look small, that your son makes everything look small, that we are already victorious. We're not crossing our fingers. We've already won. Mansions have been built. This is not where should we go. This is a call to faithfulness. God is real, God is good, Christ lives today. Whatever battle we face, God knows the ending. And for those who love him and place their faith and trust in his son, he will bless in God. Help, help us today, every single one of us, help us today stay faithful. Stay faithful. In your precious name, amen.